Hi, this is David Orlovsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Uh, broadcast every week. Um, Torah Anytime, uh, YouTube, uh, iTunes, uh, iPod, UPod, everybody's a pod pod. <laughs> I don't know where people listen to these things. But... Um, it's so nice that you're here and uh, watching or listening. You know, most podcasts are only audio, but people say they like to watch me. So, uh, so by all means, you know, that, that opportunity is there. But uh, when I used to do my early shiur, my, I do a Motsi Shabbos shiur in, in Harnof. I was with a cassette tape. And I would, like, at some point have to stop and turn over the cassette tape. And whenever anybody was listening... Suddenly people would laugh because I used to tell one of you know my best jokes when I was turning over the tape. <laughs> Some people missed out on that. So sometimes it's just worthwhile to be there, be there live, be part of the action. And anybody who would like tickets to be part of our studio audience, you can contact my website, com slash contact and say, yes, I would like to be part of the studio audience to join the person who sits here also. And you could be the other person. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> In any event, this is episode six. This is uh, uh, Parshas Vayetze. Action-packed Parsha. Yeah. Yaakov Avinu gets married. And he gets married again, he gets married again, he gets married again. And he's got children and children. Baruch Hashem. He has 11 kids. I know what that's like. But I only had one wife. You know, four wives. Anybody could do that. <laughs> and, uh, and he does. And, and there is a dramatic scene in this week's parasha. He knows that he's going to marry Rachel. That when he sees Rachel, he starts crying. I used to do that on dates. But he does that because he looks at her and he knows Baruch HaKodesh that they're not going to be zeichet to be buried together. I mean, gosh. When you go out on your first date and you look at the girl and you think to yourself, are we going to be buried together? Now, by the way, don't bring it up. Right? This was one of my problems, dating. <laughs> I don't know how to make small talk. A friend of mine once said, you know, you don't look at holes on the first date. It's just not appropriate, you know? You have to be able to make small talk. That's an art form. Not everybody knows how. There's this girl, um, and some girls do this. Some girls know that guys, a lot of them don't know how to talk, especially, you know, if, if they've if taken their medication that day. What's your name? Chaim. And were you learning Chaim? Yeshiva. Okay, and how much did you take before you came out of the thing? <laughs> so girls, because as the Chazal tell us that nine parts of Dibur, nine powers, parts of speech were given to women, so women have the ability to talk much more. Yeah. And uh, so they, there are girls who prepare a running monologue in case 
The guy's quiet on the date. Yeah. So some girls prepare two dates worth of monologues because uh, certain people of the sheet that you always have to have a second date no matter what. You know, if you go out with a, a piece of luggage, you know, it's worth a second date. You never know. You never know, you know. So they always prepare two, two monologues. So this girl came in from out of town and she had arranged a number of dates, you know. And she got confused when she went out with this guy the second time and she did her first date routine again. And the guy was watching it with this fascination, you know. I wonder if she's going to tell that story. Yep, yep, now she's telling that story. I was going to, oh, yeah, yeah. And he just followed her along, you know. At the end of the day, he says, thank you. I had a wonderful time. It was almost like the last day because she did the same exact routine. <laughs> well, of course, she was so embarrassed that he had to marry her. Baruch Hashem, they have grandchildren. But... Um, you know, you have a certain running monologue, you know, but one of the things you don't say is, so, where do you want to get buried? <laughs> no, I just, I want to get it now, you know. It was an old joke in New York. I don't know if this still applies, but the most popular place to make a bar mitzvah was the Washington Hotel. And they used to say from the hospital, you made two phone calls if you had a boy. You called the Moyle and you called the Washington Hotel to reserve it in 13 years from today. And not necessarily in that order. <laughs> and you want to make sure that you could get it, you know? So, uh, you know, so you want to make sure and reserve in advance. But I don't know that you should start, you know, when you go out the first date, start reserving where we're going to get buried, you know, make sure you can get plots, you know? So, um, uh, so he starts crying. He knows he's supposed to marry Rachel. Yeah. And he's told you have to work seven years for Rachel, and he's game. Seven years? Ah, piece of cake. Piece of cake. Puts in the seven years. Yeah. He was uh, 63. Yeah. I think he was 63 at the time. Um, it was 63, but then he first, it was 63 when he got the brachas. Then he went off to learn for 14 years because uh, you don't want to jump into marriage, you know what I mean? A young man of 63, you know? So it worked seven years, fine. Get married at 84. Nice, nice age. You, uh, you know that you've matured. Now, just, let's just get this straight, right? It's 63 and 14 years is 77. Another seven years is 84. Studio audience is uh, <laughs> questioning my math skills. <laughs> if there's one thing I can do is add 14 and 7, trust me. I, I went to school. I'm a high school graduate, so I can do that much. You know? 14. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 84. 84. So, um, uh, so he goes in for his wedding. And Rachel sees that her sister Leah is being dressed up in her wedding dress and being given her veil and going to be led down the aisle in her place. Now, Yaakov anticipated this. He knew he was dealing with Lavan. And so they set up code words, passwords. And Rachel said, well, this is going to be extremely awkward. Mistama, 
Rachel learned in a seminary, and that's a seminary word, awkward. Guy told me he went out once with this seminary girl, and there was a little quiet spell, and she goes, uh-oh, awkward silence. <laughs> so she probably says, oh, this is going to be so awkward. <laughs> They're going to get down there, you know, and, uh, and Jacob will go, swordfish. <laughs> She'll be like, what? Swordfish. You're not, Rachel. <laughs> and then all the guests will be like, what's, what's, what's happening? What's happening? And all that. You tried to trick me, you crooked schwer. Good thing I checked under the veil. <laughs> now you imagine how Leah's going to feel. Leah's going to be devastated. So what does Rachel do? Rachel gives the passwords to Leah. Now let's appreciate the underlying uh, implications of this. Yeah? Yitzchak had two boys and Lovin had two girls. And everybody knew they're going to marry each other. That means that Rachel, who was meant to marry Yaakov Avinu, is instead going to end up with uh, end up with Esav. Or nobody. And she was prepared for that. She was prepared for that. Just so that her sister shouldn't be uh, embarrassed. And in that schuz, she got a shweki song. Mama Rachel, cry for us again. Won't you say a prayer for your dear children? Yeah. So, unbelievable. You too. You too, if you can make a monumental enough sacrifice, could probably get a Shreki song. Yeah. It's, uh, it's beautiful. But how about Mama Leia? <laughs> now, let's make no mistake about it. Mama Leia never got a song. <laughs> Mamaleah, who is the mother of half of Kla Yisrael. Let's for a moment move into Mamaleah's head. She sees her father dressing her up as her sister on her sister's wedding day, and she's going to go down the aisle. What is she thinking? What's going on in her head? And as she's going down, Rachel says, this is, this is, me and Yaakov had a password, here's the password. Well, gosh, doesn't she realize now that she's stealing her sister's chosen? And what's going to happen to her sister? And we all talk about Rachel and Rachel's tremendous sacrifice and her mysterious nefesh and how we turn to Rachel and Menu that she should daven for us over the years. But how come Leah was okay with this whole thing? Why didn't Leah say, no passwords, I'm going to reveal myself to Yaakov and let him know the truth? So there's two different approaches. I don't know if we'll have time for both of them today. There's two different approaches, and each one of them brings with it a particularly poignant message. Let's take the first one. Yeah? The first approach is, Leah didn't know. Yaakov meets Rachel, and he says, I'm going to marry you. And she says, My father is a Ramai. He's going to make, somehow this ain't going to work. You're going to marry Leah. It's never going to happen. He says, your father's a Ramai? I'm a bigger Ramai than her, than he is. And Rachel says, 
<laughs> I'm sure you are. I'll bet you all those years learning in yeshivas, Avram and Yitzchak, you know, and Shemba Aver, you really picked up all those smooth moves that my dad has. Yeah, you're going to fool Lovin. <laughs> no, hard it is to fool Lovin. Never going to happen. And so Rachel made up in her mind the following conclusion. Seven years from now on my wedding night, my father's going to switch Leah for me. And what's she going to do? How is she going to handle that? And so Yaakov went off with the sheep. And as he says to Lavan, I worked day and I worked night. I ate the ice and the snow and the cold. I was burnt up in the sun by the day. I never left. I never brought you a trefa. I fought off wolves. I fought off lions. I, I never brought you any cost. He's out in the sheep. Every now and then, he sends a gift to Rachel. Here's a beautiful cactus. It'll look nice on your windowsill. Oh, look. Yeah. Here's a, here's a leaping lizard. That's going to become real popular when Dick Tracy comes out. <laughs> Dick Tracy, yeah. Uh, um, little orphan Annie. <laughs> leaping lizards, yeah. yeah. Whatever he found, he would send it to Rachel. He sent her gifts throughout the years. And whatever he sent... Rachel brought it over to Leah and said, Yaakov brought this to you. Now, it never occurred to Leah to ask, why didn't he contact me directly? Because uh, Leah was such a tsunua. Rachel, she was, uh, she was a go-getter. She went out with the sheep, you know. She was camp counselor, you know. She she had the starring role in the in the performance, you know, whatever. Leia stayed at home and cried. <laughs> she cried, she davened. She said to Hillam before they were to Hillam. <laughs> she's she's mamish, kulay, tfila. So of course doesn't expect uh, Yaakov to come and uh, hang out with her. This is uh, pasnished, yeah? So he sent it to Rachel, and Rachel would bring it to her. For seven years, as Yaakov courted Rachel, Rachel took everything and brought it over to Leah. So when it came to the end, and she goes down to the chuppah, Rachel says, by the way, Yaakov wants to make sure it's really you. So he said, when he says swordfish, you say knock three times. So there's a special code. That, of course, was not the code. Yeah, a real code. Leah didn't know anything. And in the morning, when Yaakov realized what had happened, it says he goes to Lavan. He doesn't say to Leah, why did you do this to me? He goes to Lavan. How did you trick me? How did you lie to me? Until the day she died, Leah never knew that Yaakov was supposed to marry Rachel. He had no idea. And so, as this whole process plays out, now you understand why, you know, 
Seven days. As soon as he finishes Shev Brachas, you've courted Leah for seven years, as far as Leah knows. And a week later, you marry my sister? Can you imagine Leah's shock? And that's why when Ruvain brings her the Dudayim, and Rachel says, maybe I could have those flowers, and she says, it's not enough that you stole my husband? I stole your husband. You stole my husband. But Leah had no idea. Because Rachel never told her, and Lovin never told her, and nobody let on to what had actually happened. There's a Toysfus. It talks about dying us, Kiddush Hashem. It talks about dying us, Kiddush Hashem. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about this. We're supposed to think about it. When we say Kriya Shema, even if we have to give up our lives. In Vahayoyim Shemoah, even after we give up our lives. Twice in the morning we say that, twice in the evening we say that, and once before we go to sleep. Five times a day we say we're prepared to give up our life. I've, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. It gets me upset when I hear how flippant people are about the Holocaust. It's, it's just amazing. Why didn't these people fight back? Why didn't these people this? Why didn't these people run away? Why? Do you have any idea what you're talking about? There were these villages where people didn't have money for food and nothing. Rav Zach said that when he went with the Chavetz Chaim to a, to a rabbinical convention in Vilna, it was the first time he ever saw flush toilets. He never saw a flush toilet. They only had outhouses in Rodden. They didn't have money and nothing. What do you think you're going to do? Run out on your credit card and get an airline ticket and fly out? They had nothing. It was unbelievable poverty, hunger. And let's say you say, okay, I'll run away. You'll run away. What about your parents? They're elderly. What about your children? They're little. Do you abandon everybody and just run away and save yourself and leave everybody else? Well, nobody knew it was going to be an extermination at that point. Who knows what was going to happen? Do you abandon everybody? A very hard, hard decision. And the, and the Nazis worked very hard to confuse people about what was actually taking place. And people don't want to hear bad news. People, people don't want to accept it. But I play through, what if it was me? And they rounded me up and went to put me on the trains. And then you stand for three days in the burning heat with no air in these cattle cars with one slop pail for, the, for everybody there, no food. And then you come off, and the blazing lights, and the dogs, you know, chasing after you, and the selections, and then sleep on a pallet, a wooden pallet, three high, three, four people on a pallet, no food, no water, working from early in the morning to late at night wearing those pajamas and those wooden clogs. And I've thought it through, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't make it to the train. I would be schlepping along, they'd put a bolt in me, that would be the end of it. Now, how a person survived. 
And people want to second guess. Why did they run off to the woods? Run off to the woods and eat what? And live where? In the freezing cold. People are so flippant. People are, well, why didn't they? What do you mean, why didn't they? Well, what were they supposed to do? So if they knew for sure they were going to get killed, then maybe it pays just to go and jump and, and, and try to do something. But very hard, very hard. Uh, I played through that scenario, but what would I do? Terrorist pulls out a gun and says, I'm going to kill you. You know? We had a spate here in Yerushalayim not that long ago of Arabs pulling out knives and stabbing people. We, me and my wife we were, were walking to the castle, you know? And you're walking past the site where people get stabbed, and you wonder, well, I do if somebody pulls out this big knife and sh- shouts, you know, Allah Akbar, what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And you think to yourself, am I ready to die? Ask Kiddush Hashem. And I think, I think about this many times, many times. What would you do in that situation? Now, to go out, to be shot, to be stabbed, you know, okay, to be hanged. But says Taisvis, Hananya, Meshava, Azariah were prepared to give up their lives and be thrown into the Kirshana Eish. But if they would have gotten Malchus and, and been beaten, they would have eventually broken and bowed down. Because we can find that moment of inspiration where we stand up for that moment of greatness. But that every single day to wake up, how they lived, how they lived in these concentration camps, how they managed through the the, the horrors and and the terrors to get up every morning and to survive to another day and another day and another day. That's what Taisa says. If, if they would have been beaten, they probably would have broken. Because we're prepared to go out in a ba- blaze of glory. But that constant, constant. So if there was a moment and Leia is dressed up in the wedding gown and Rachel sees her ready to walk down the aisle instead of her and in a moment of inspiration she says, here's the password. That would have been a terrible Nisayan. But for seven years, as her chassan sent her gifts, you know, today you have a four-month engagement, that's a long engagement, seven years. And he'd send her gifts and send her things, etc. And each time she would take it and bring it over to Leah and say, this is for you, this is for you. Spent seven years giving up her chassan. Every single day, reassuring Leah, telling her, that's an unbelievable serious nefesh. Leia, Leia never knew. And, and when, when Yaakov realized what happened, he wasn't going to tell her. And he understood so much of what Rachel had gone through for those past seven years because he never told Yaakov. Because he figures if I let Yaakov in, he's, gonna, he's not going to stand for this. I have uh, neighbors Zaykans. You might know Mary Zaykan. She writes, uh, writes books and articles. When her mother passed away, I went to pay a shiva call, and she told me the following story. She said there was a transport from her town, 
and everybody in her town was killed except for her. She was the only one who survived. And my mother used to ask, how come I survived? Why was the only one that survived? And there's a, there's a point where you think to yourself, maybe I wasn't Roy to die as Kiddush Hashem. Now, this is, this is a little morbid to think about. But Rav Hanach Leibowitz, Roshiv of Chavetz Chaim, I heard him speaking once when I was in Chavetz Chaim. And he said, um, we, I was once traveling as a little boy in Europe, traveling on a train with my father. And anti-Semites fired into the car where they knew the Jews were. And the bullets were flying. And me and my father survived. And my father said, I almost thought I was ready to die as Kiddush Hashem. Mavchanech says, I started crying. I said, Tati, you want to die? He says, no, but do you know what it means to be chosen to die as Kiddush Hashem? I heard this, I didn't check it out, but I heard somebody say, B'Shem of Noach Weinberg, that when Mea Kahana, who is a controversial figure, was killed by an Arab, Noach said, I'm surprised. I didn't realize he was on the level to die as Kiddush Hashem. When a person dies as Kiddush Hashem, I had a friend of mine, Yecheskel Goldberg. I knew him when he was Scotty Goldberg from Toronto. He was living here in Israel, and he became a therapist, and he was working with people, and he was on a bus. An Arab terrorist blew it up. And he died. And you think to yourself, you know, to be chosen to be Kedoshim. I remember when the two bus blew up here in Yerushalayim and they had vignettes of all the people who had died. Each one was a bigger tzaddik than the next one. I remember I read that and I said, oh, Baruch Hashem, I'm okay. He's only taking the good people. Um, I'm going to stick around. <laughs> he doesn't want me. <laughs> I had a brother passed away, 63, from uh, his heart failed. His heart uh, stopped. And my mother was still alive. She was in her 80s. And can you imagine a mother losing a son like that? And she asked the question that only a mother can ask. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did God take Jason? I said to God, don't take him. Take me. I'm an old woman. My, my life is done. Take me. He's, he's got children to marry off. Why, why did my son take... Who can answer such a question? Now, I couldn't fly because I had had my heart attack and my bypass operation, so I had to sit Sheva here. So I called up my mother to be Menachem. And she says to me, why? Why did God take Jason? Why didn't he take me? And I said, God doesn't want you. You're an old cranky lady. Why should he take you? Jay's a lot of fun. That's why he took Jay. <laughs> and she said to me, that's the first thing anyone said that makes any sense. <laughs> I said this over in Olavaya. And afterwards, someone told me that they went to see her you know, a few days before she passed away. And she said, she was in a lot of pain. And she says, I'm trying not to be so cranky so God will take me. <laughs> so this was the question. The whole town was taken away and died as Kiddush Hashem. How, my mother would have kept thinking, why did she survive? And I said, because there's two ways to be Makadashem Shemayim. You can die as a Kiddush Hashem, or you can live as a Kiddush Hashem. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu chose your mother for the much harder road to have to live as Kiddush Hashem.
the terrible thing that happened in Pittsburgh. And Jews were killed because they were Jews. It doesn't matter what else they were doing. It doesn't matter whatever else happened in their life. They went straight up to Shemaim. And there are those of us who have to get up every morning and we have to live a meaningful life a whole day and go to sleep and wake up the next day and perfect our midos and do mitzvos and make the world a better place and mekadeshem shemayim. And we have to do it day in and day out so at the end of our lives we can turn around and make the same impact on the world as people who were able to do it in a blaze of glory. Rachel didn't just give up her chasen. Rachel spent seven years giving up her chasen. Day in and day out. Some struggles are those moments of glory. To quote the junior senator from New Jersey, my Spartacus moment. It's my Spartacus moment. I stand up and I write Spartacus. <laughs> you can just stand up and have that moment. That moment. I may have told this story already. The Alta of Slobotica was the Mashkiach in the Yeshiva of Kelm. And the Russian police came to take the Alta of Kelm away. And the soldiers burst in and they say, who's in charge here? And before anybody could say anything, the Alta of Slobotica said, I am. And they put the cuffs on him and they took him away. They were going to send him away to Siberia. And there was an outpouring, a world outcry, and he was released. And he said, I don't know if I did what I did because I wanted to save the life of the Alta of Kelm or because I wanted the thrill of saying, I'm in charge here. The moment of glory. And imagine having to do that every single day. Every day. Those are the heroes. The heroes are the daily struggles. The whole nafshachah, when we say with our whole life, it doesn't mean only giving up your life. It means giving your life to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rachel Imenu made a decision, and she lived with that decision her whole life. You see that when she was childless, she asked her sister for her, the flowers that maybe she'd be able to have a baby, and her mother and, his, and, her, and her sister snaps at her. That's not enough. You stole my husband. And you know what she said? Shh, nothing. Nothing. Shash still. Take it out on me. Don't say anything to my, to my sister. I'm not going to do anything to hurt her feelings. That's our challenge. Vayetze is the parasha where we give birth to Klai Yisrael. Bnei Yisrael. Yaakov is Yisrael. This is where we, come, we become a people. It's played out again when we go down to Mitzrayim, where we become not just a, not just a family, but we become a nation. And it's the daily struggle that we have to do in order to be able to accomplish that Kiddush Hashem we make in this world. Okay. More of this fun and frolic next week. Uh, remember our links. You can listen to this on my website, rabbiolofsky.com slash podcast. If you want to know upcoming event schedules, we've got some exciting things happening. 
rabbiolowski.com slash events. If you want to just, you know, contact me and, and say, wow, wow, I can't believe how unbelievably wonderful this is, how nice it is of you to do this. And of course, the sponsorships will be available soon. I had a number of people wrote and said I should really be in front of a fireplace. Well, I'm willing to make that happen, you know, for you. So, uh, rabbiolowski.com slash contact. And, uh, you know, uh, you want to leave a, you want to subscribe, subscribe over on YouTube so that we can, uh, we can give you news and updates. You can subscribe and follow us on uh, Torah Anytime. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can, uh, you can follow me. As I go to the Makolid every day, I live right here in Agassi. Feel free to come by, yeah? <laughs> Do you follow Rabbi Olavsky? Yes, every day. <laughs> it's getting a little creepy, frankly. <laughs> in any event, you know, we, want, we, uh, we appreciate this, you being part of my online community. And, uh, you know, I, I think on, uh, on iTunes you can leave a review. So uh, that would be nice. And even though I'm an unof, please leave a five-star review because uh, the more reviews that you have, I don't have any idea what that means, but it's supposed to be a good thing. So (laughs) whatever it is, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. (music) 